Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, also known as Peter Lindell, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This is season two, where we're learning from people pursuing No Place Left that are not getting paid by a ministry or church. Today I'm interviewing Mark and Marla, lawyers. Oftentimes, lawyers are the punchline of jokes, but not today. This is a great conversation of how to own the mission of Jesus as a family while practicing law. Listen after the interview for how to leave a comment, ask a question, or jump in to pursue no place left yourself. Uh, for you guys, what's been the best part of your last week? I had a really sweet meeting this Thursday with a woman that I met in Texas at, uh, you know, Mark and I actually went out to a, to a no place left training, um, a pretty high level uh, leadership training meeting. And I met a woman who was, uh, who, who sort of ended up there by mistake <laughs> and hadn't had any exposure. You know, she, she, she's on the, she's on the missions committee of a big church and she had some a more traditional missions background and she was sort of sent as a scout to this meeting <laughs> and she didn't know what that she was getting herself into and felt like she was in over her head and we just sort of connected and I said hey let's just get online with each other and start a group with you know her husband and she has a couple teenage daughters um, and I said start a group in your family let's go through the commands of Christ let me kind of show you what this looks like so we just had our first meeting on Thursday. So that was a week ago. We did a three-thirds meeting. We did a, the story of the thief on the cross. And um, I trained her to do the three circles. And she's going to do that with her husband and her two daughters mm. uh, this week. And I'm really excited about her family doing this together. I would say for me, my highlight this week was our Sunday night house church, which is basically recovered alcoholics and drug addicts and their families and so I trained two guys about a year ago actually I trained about 10 guys about a year ago only two of whom did anything and the two were these two recovering addicts and they've now got a house church with about 25 people in a I was standing in the kitchen talking with the guys on Sunday night and I realized I'm the only guy here who hasn't been to prison <laughs> That's the best part of your week. All right, week's only going up from there. <laughs> but but it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a really sweet group. Just seeing how how God has ch totally transformed their families. One of the coolest things is watching their kids. They're, the kids range from six to sixteen years old, and the kids are all involved in the house church. They love getting together. Um, they're actually, it was one of the boys who was going through the commitments from the prior week and, and checking on, on whether everybody had filled in. I just thought, this is beautiful. That's awesome. When did you guys first connect to, I guess, what we would call no place left? We were trying to implement move, you know, church planting movement principles really before no place left was invented. For me, it was in 2010 when I took the job as country director for Indonesia and at the time there was a guy with the one of the leaders at E3 Partners a guy named Curtis Sarja and and he had been very involved in China 
you know, catalyzed a movement himself, then was very involved with the house church movement, the larger house church movement there. And so I started learning those principles from him. And he came out and did a training yeah. out at our house. He came to our house and we invited our all the people, everybody that we knew and our kids. We had uh, four so we, teenage kids at the time and they're all their friends and he did a training for us at our house so we had like a giant week-long slumber party at our mm -hmm. house and so it was 2010 was when we seriously started trying to put movement principles in action and, and i just felt like it, I, I can't really go to indonesia and say to people hey i read this in a book you should do it i need to be doing it myself so that's what we did. And at the time, our kids were in high school. Well, our, our oldest was in the Army, but the others were in high school. And so we started a house church and quick, quickly grew to 25 or 30 people, mostly high school age kids. And they, they and their friends really are the ones that sort of uh, wrapped around this whole concept and took off with it. Curtis was was talking to Mark about this stuff, and he was kind of coming at it from an intellectual perspective and a theoretical perspective about how it was working around the world. But our kids really kind of brought it alive to us mm. here um, because they they were able to apply it and engage with it much more quickly than we were. And seeing what it did in their lives was, was uh, what really kind of convinced us that this could be done in the States and that this was really the way to go. We've been with no place left before it existed. There you go. <laughs> I, I consider it a huge blessing as a family because a lot of times as kids, as kids grow up, your faith is your parents' thing. And we've been involved in missions and a, a lot throughout our lifetime. And it could, be, it could have been our thing and they could go off and do their thing. But, but the no place left, the change that no place left brought to us was is really um, a new wineskin, if you will, that our kids were able to embrace and make their own, and we we learned it together, and they were better at it than we were. So it wasn't so they don't feel like oh this is my parents' thing, mm -hmm. they feel like this is our thing, and they're bringing their parents along. I'm focused on interviewing people that aren't aren't working for a ministry or church, and I'm just kind of love to hear what how that fits with both of you guys and what, you, what you're doing now, but also kind of part of the journey. To me, the idea of sort of being a regular working person or a regular retired person who's not drawing a salary from ministry and doing and making disciples is super important because a disciple just naturally imitates the person who leads them to Christ. And so if, if, I'm, if I'm receiving a salary for what I do, then what I naturally communicate, even though I would never say it, and I don't mean to communicate this, but what, what's naturally communicated is, you know, and when you get to be mature, you also will get paid to do this. Or even if you're really serious about this, if you're, you know, if you're really one of the you know, devoted people, then you will get to the place where you are fully supported. And I watched that happen in a bad way 
because I, you know, I practiced law for 20 years, then I was a missions pastor for 10 years, and then I've been doing No Place Left for 10 years. When I was a missions pastor, I remember going to Russia and talking to a guy who had had a, one of the best jobs in the town, working in an oil refinery. And he had decided he wanted to be a pastor, that God was calling him to be a pastor. And so he had quit his job and he was waiting for somebody from America to build a church building for him to be a pastor in. And he had six new believers he was working with. And I was thinking, A, when you quit your job, you lost your contact with all the people you work with. And B, with six disciples, you don't need a church building, you need a big sofa. <laughs> um, and I just thought, wow, we, we've established this model for him and he's following it. And, and the model is basically putting him in a place where he's got to be dependent on outside resources and, he, and he's, he's withdrawing himself from the natural place for him to meet people and make disciples. And it was really depressing to watch. And so I think it's really important for us to model what we want people to do. And what we want people to do is to live normal lives and make disciples. And if we want them to do that, then we need to do that. I guess I'd want to ask directly, and Marla, you already shared that great story of the, the lady you started um, yeah. basically coaching online. But even how practically has that worked for you still being full-time in law? Even I guess the question of when did you end up scheduling that meeting? I'm sure you, yeah. you're plenty busy. I'd love to hear how that's kind of worked into your everyday, everyday life and job. How it's worked for me is I practice law and I have, you know, I have worked myself into a maybe a um, more unusual structure uh, because I practice law mostly. I from home. I'm affiliated with a large business firm uh, in the city. I have an office and a secretary there, but I work primarily remotely from my home. I, I, I chose to do that in 1991, actually, when I, um, after I had made partner at a big firm and I, we started having children, I wanted, at that time, Mark was still practicing law full time. You know, I decided to work part time and and I, in, I in fact, had to, had to be on bed rest when I was uh, pregnant the first time. And so I started practicing law from home, even though it was in the early 90s, 1991. Um, and it worked out, it actually worked out quite well <laughs> um, with my expertise. Um, I'm a tax lawyer. And so I, you know, and so I started working at home um, because I had to it ended up working so well that I that I kept doing that. And so when our children were little, Mark was working full time for as a lawyer and I started working part time from home as an attorney. I had I ended up, you know, having four children and I worked yeah, maybe fifteen to twenty hours a week. And we didn't really need the money except for the fact that even at that period of time we were thinking long term and I knew that Mark, you know, we wanted to maybe do some something you know, some kind of missions or ministry or something that Mark didn't want to keep um, working full time. And I, so I wanted to kind of keep my hand in the practice and keep, um, to be able to, you know, have flexibility in that regard for him to, to eventually not have to work full time. And so I kept doing it 
part-time, but I really gave up a lot in terms of the corporate ladder. God just blessed it. In other words, I had a, I had a fairly esoteric ex- area of expertise that the, the law in this area all changed. Mark stopped practicing in 2000, and in 2003 and 2004, there was two significant changes in the law that caused my area of expertise to mushroom, to become extremely valuable. It, what I felt like is we did everything to screw up our careers, but God just blessed it, blessed it, blessed So I do feel yeah. like if, if you are making choices to honor God with your careers, then God will give you what you, you know, he will work, he will give you kind of what you need to do what he's asking you to do. What I've done as I've started to try and do No Place Left stuff, which before this, I did sort of short-term missions and I did a bunch of stuff with the church. I taught Sunday school and I taught women's and I had the middle school girls groups and stuff like that. Um, When I started really trying to make disciples, I had to back out of a bunch of good stuff, Mm. right? I I, I had to stop teaching, you know, Sunday school and stop you know, which are, were all wonderful things. In fact, when I first started trying to learn how to do three thirds, I did it with my Sunday school class and I did it with my middle school girls and stuff like that. But gradually, you know, in order to do, in order to make disciples, you have to make time in your schedule. And so, and so I had to back out of a bunch of, you know, good, other good things to make time in my schedule. But I, I, I figured out that from my perspective, uh, my late afternoons, in other words, I could pretty much finish my work by, you know, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And then I could fit my, a lot of ministry time, um, both harvest time and and uh, meeting with people, more, you know, uh, accountability groups and stuff like, and small groups between, you know, in the late afternoon. I treat those just like my legal meetings and they're scheduled into my day, into my schedule, my legal schedule, just like my legal work is. And sometimes I come home from the meeting and I gotta go back to work if I've, you know, haven't finished something, but you know, cause, but I just sort of treat those meetings like they're my, like they're my other legal commitment. Two things that stood out to me that I wanted to highlight was, um, we kind of had the 20 year window or view of, of what you just shared, but I think it's important to highlight that in that moment when you were this is just simply like the family ministry side of things wrestling that like you did make a sacrifice and then we obviously heard the rest of the story that got honored that but i would just encourage people that remember there will be the sacrifice involved too um and we don't necessarily know the outcome and, and i loved how you said giving up the good for um what's better obviously that classic good to great question but that's just another really important thing to remember really when pursuing movements is that a lot of times the enemy or what slows down a movement is sticking with something that's good instead of those best practices, those great things. Well, and what, you know, what we both had to do is, because we're, we're still members of a big church, of a legacy church, and we go on Sundays. But when we, you know, when in the past we would have been spending five to 10 hours a week doing church stuff, we pretty much don't do that anymore. And so we so we we go for an hour and a half on Sunday, um, but but we'll do 
big church stuff only if it relates directly to making disciples. So if they act to ask us to train people how to do three-thirds groups, we'll do that. But if they ask us to teach a Sunday school class or something, we'll say no. Right. And I, I have two thoughts about that. You know, one is that <laughs> there are there are lots of really wonderful things that our big churches are doing and that need to be done in those churches. And that's great, except that, you know, I look at this and I think, okay, there are a lot of wonderful believers here who are willing and able to do those things. There are not very many people who are sharing the gospel and making disciples. And so, and so even though those are all wonderful things to do, God's highest priority is sharing the gospel and, meet it and making disciples. And so I've got to give my, you know, I've got to focus my efforts on that. Even though I'm really good at lots of the other stuff, you know, I just think, there's not very many people doing what God values the most. And so I need to focus what all of my resources on that. And so that's kind of how I've decided sort of what we do. And, uh, but, but we kind of use our church to facilitate our entry into the harvest. We pull people, you know, we meet people in, in through on Sunday mornings and in any, you know, in, in other contexts who are interested in getting trained and sharing the gospel. And we, you know, we, we sort of, we pull them out and train them. But we also, like our, our church does a, does a manifest, it does something called manifest, which is a food bank. Well, we go to the food bank and we pray with the people that are in line and we share the gospel and we share stories, you know, they're sitting around the table and we, you know, do a little three thirds group with them. And we, you know, so we use the ministries of the church as, as kind of ways to reach into the harvest and to and to pull out people who are believers who want to get trained in sharing the gospel, um, and so that's kind of how we've continued to be involved in the Legacy Church. I love to ask this, although you've already given us a few, but any stories just where you've seen God work recently? Um, one really fun thing that just happened to to me is so on Monday nights I have a group. Um, it's not a group. It's hard to call it a group, but there is an Indian woman who is um, an immigrant to this area and lives in a housing complex that a little apartment complex next to um, one of the biotech companies, and she's a PhD. And she is, you know, she. Um, we met her, and she started coming to our our sorry, Thursday night home church, our home church, and she wants to start a group like that in her house and so I started so we started going around um, knocking on the doors and share you know with pe people in her complex and sharing the gospel and inviting them to to do an inquirer's study at at her house on Monday nights we've and that we've been doing that we've had that going for a uh, almost a year now and it's sort of been an inquirers group we've had sort of Muslims and Hindus and different people you know and and sometimes we have Five people and sometimes we have no people mm -hmm. <laughs> recently we it last December we ran into um, a family knocking on doors who were what were a, it was a Filipino family and there was a husband and wife who both work here and the mother um, who was visiting from the Philippines and because the daughter had just had a baby, I think. And we invited them to come. And the mother and the daughter came to our, our, our group. And what we learned is that the mother had been a believer for 
a longer period of time. A more mature believer, she's she's been a believer in the Philippines for about uh, maybe four, several years, three or four or five years, something like that. And that the and and the daughter had been a believer for about two years, and the husband had just gone baptized the week before. And there was a there's a little local church that they were had started kind of going to. They were very excited about discipleship, um, and so we started taking them through the commands of Christ. Very quickly, the mother was very excited about learning the commands of Christ. One, she was very grateful to have her children, who were new believers, you know, go um, go through this material. But she was also really wanted to learn it because she was returning to the Philippines and wanted to take it back with her. She was leaving January 11th. Over about a four or five week period of time, we trained trained her really hard in the um, in the commands of Christ and she took it back to her to the Philippines and so we're still meeting with the daughter and her mother has took this back to the Philippines uh, shared it with her uh, a group of friends that she has started doing it with a group of women friends that she had they took it back to their church and we just heard that the entire church wants to everybody to be trained in the commands of Christ in the three circles that's awesome <laughs> um, so it, so that was just so that's been super super fun is that God is like taking this back to the Philippines when we're still you know just mm-hmm. trying to to kind of make something happen here something small happen here. That's awesome. So. We've been pursuing movement for ten years, mm-hmm. and you know the sort of textbook definition of a church planting movement is a thousand baptized, a hundred churches, four streams or more of fourth generation or more, which we're not remotely there. <laughs> Anywhere. <laughs> um, but but I would really say the 10 years we've had of failing to get to movement <laughs> have been by far the most fruitful years of our Christian lives. Yeah. You know, and what we're basically finding is we're more and more deeply involved in people's lives because that's what it is that you know that that's what you do and if you're pursuing movement yeah. is you you filter for obedience and focus on the faithful few well and, and, and seeing a, more and more people saved you know seeing people come to Christ and seeing their lives change <laughs> and so we've baptized I think between 20 and 30 people in our Probably in more. our jacuzzi, in, the, in our backyard, in the past ten years, which wasn't something less, we used to do, yeah. and we're more deeply involved in key people's lives and seeing them be fruitful, and it's just, it's really, really fun. It's really excellent. Kind of the joy of the ministry is is transformed lives. That's right. that's the payback. One of our disciples is she's working with a deaf group where they, you know, they they basically were saying in in our area there there's no churches that have deaf ministries, so there's no way for them to, you know, hear to to attend any kind of service of any kind, uh, you, you know, with um, with a deaf translation, and so and she doesn't do sign language, but what happened is one of the um, the women who used to be completely deaf and had a ear had surgery, she can hear well enough to hear the story and translate it into sign language. And so, 
And so Anna, who is one of my disciples, Anna goes and she meets with that meets with this group of deaf people and she you know she tells the story and they translate it into sign language and then they all you know retell and discuss the story in sign language and Anna has mostly is mostly training Karina is the is this person who hears a little bit and she's taking over leadership of this group but we basically have a three-thirds you know group that's entirely in song sign language that Anna's kind of coaching my disciple is kind of coaching but they are t- this is taking off for them as a and and then this is you know they are so excited this is the only time the only kind of bible study that they've ever been able to have and to me it's just beautiful that we can eliminate the bottlenecks that stand between these people in church by doing it in the simplest possible way. That's a great story that shows getting not only the gospel and discipleship, but then church to like every people in every place. Yeah. Uh, and what yeah. a great reminder right here in our own country of those little pockets of unreached almost you'd say unreached people yeah. groups, people, like a, a group of deaf people that have never had been able to experience church um, in their own language, we would say. So that's, man, that's a great story. Anything else, especially when you think about, I just kind of would love for you to share anything on your heart when you think about pursuing the lost, um, making disciples, and I even hate the wording alongside a job, but that that blending of life on mission with your with your um, job that you're getting paid for. I, I forget where I read this, but somebody said, church planting movements are not a few people doing a bunch. It's a bunch of people doing a little. And, and so the goal is to mobilize hundreds, thousands, millions of people, each of whom is putting in five or 10 hours a week towards making disciples. And, and so that's totally doable with a job. But you, you do have to do some cost counting where you say to yourself, some of these other activities that are maybe fine, but not excellent, <laughs> I'm going to have to get rid of in order to free myself up for the five to 10 hours a week focused on sharing the gospel and making disciples. Well, and I think it's true of being a believer anyway. It's that if you kind of, if you think of the parable of the four soils, the thing that chokes off a fruitfulness among the third soil is the cares of this world. And I think that there are lots of cares of this world, good things, you know, your kids, you know, soccer practice and your, you know, and your neighborhood, you know, I don't know, sewing circle or whatever, but there are, there are um, lots of important, important good things, both in the church and, and in the community that will distract you and prevent you from doing the best. And Satan just is out to prevent us from doing from doing the best. He will bring anything and everything into your life to distract you from that 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 he can and it's mu- and good things are much um, more effective at distracting us, you know, mm-hmm. teaching, you know, than bad things. So the way the way I would say that is you need an analytical grid that lets you say no to about 90% of what people ask you to do. <laughs> and, and and for us, for the last 10 years, the analytical grid has been the Great Commission. It's been, okay, so Jesus, the, the job description Jesus gave us was make disciples, 
teaching them to obey all of my commandments, which includes the commandment to make disciples. And so, so the basic job description Jesus has given is make obedient, multiplying disciples. And so really when we get, when we get a request to spend our time in some way or another, we'll ask ourselves, is this gonna help us make obedient multiplying disciples or not? And if the answer is, or not, we'll say no. If you have any follow-up questions for me or my guests, you can check out the show notes or use this number, 321-209-3899. Call or text your question and we'll get an answer back to you. If you're looking for training or coaching, you can use that same number, 321-209-3899, and text the word training or coaching to get connected. This is Peter Lindell, also known as Feeney. Thanks for listening. Keep sharing the gospel, making disciples, and reproducing leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.